Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of Tungsudo Focus, a podcast concerning all things related to the Korean martial art of Tungsudo. I am your host, Master Steve Paterini, and the topic of episode number 14 is, I like to call it, Tungsudo by the Numbers. Now, uh, in some of my past podcasts, I think I've given uh, uh, lists of ways to improve your training or uh, prepare for testing. Uh, I'm just kind of a guy who's a sucker for uh, a top 10 list. goes back to my David Letterman watching days back in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, clickbait on the internet whenever it's a list of top 10 uh, tourist attractions or, you know, best muscle cars of the 60s. I'm always going to I'm always going to click on that stuff. It's just my in my nature. So uh, I've always been sort of uh, attracted to the idea of numbers and statistics and things like that. And I, I thought about how much the influence of numbers was on my own Tungsudo journey and my Tungsudo training in particular. So as practitioners of Tungsudo, which is a Korean martial art, you would... Um, Suppose that we would learn to count in Korean, and that is the fact. Here's what's a little peculiar. Korean language has two different ways of counting to 10, um, and above, I guess, but for most of our concerns, 1 through 10 is what we would be uh, dealing with on our practice floor. Uh, yeah, two different ways of counting, which to us English speakers seems a little strange. Uh, there is the Sino-Korean or Sino-Korean version, Sino meaning uh, Chinese influenced, uh, for counting things such as money, time, measurements, and uh, I believe in our case it would refer to our forms. So we have Gicho, Young, Ilbu, Ibu, Sambu, Sabu, etc. Um, those are all uh, things, basically. For general counting, what they refer to as native Korean counting would be as we're uh, banging out repetitions of uh, warm-ups, hana, tool, set, net, dosset, yasset. That would be native Korean counting. Um, I don't know who exactly made the precedent for uh, which system of counting we use for uh, our particular uh, techniques or particular situations in the dojong, uh, but I think we're all aware of those words and uh, maybe it's never even occurred to us that Il and uh, Hana are pretty much the same thing, one and one, just stated in a different way. So in Sino-Korean or Sino-Korean, I'm not sure the exact pronunciation as I am not a linguist, uh, but it would be Il, E, Sam, Sa, O, Yuck, Chill, Pal, Gul, and Sip. That would be 1 through 10 in Sino-Korean. I'm going to stick with that pronunciation. And if I'm wrong, forgive me. Uh, native Korean would be Hana, Tul, Set, Net, Dasset, Yasset, Ilgup, Yuro, Aho, and Yo. Now, apologies in advance to any Korean speakers. I'm sure my pronunciation is nothing close to what you would hear spoken on the peninsula of Korea, 
but uh, you know we use it in our Americanized uh, fashion uh, with our American accents. In fact, uh, we train frequently with people from the southern area of Massachusetts and Rhode Island that uh, have an interesting accent of their English and add that to their interpretation of Korean words. And uh, we always, during testing, uh, when they look confused, we always talk about how, how funny our accent must sound to them. Uh, where we talk down in the uh, the central shoreline area of Connecticut. Uh, but I digress. Uh, two different ways of counting. Now, another thing that's kind of interesting is uh, that if I was to look at uh, il, i, sam, sa, those are what we would use to uh, designate our forms. Gicho young ilbu, gicho young ibu, gicho young sambu, pyongan sadan, pyongan odan, things like that. But it, it, the very first form would be um, Pyongan Chodan, or a first degree black belt would be a Chodan, not a Ildan. And I looked it up and did a little uh, research, and uh, the best I could come to answering that is Il would be one or first, and Cho would mean first, more like initial stage. So Chodan, initial stage. Uh, Chodan, uh, uh, Pyongan Chodan would be a, the initial Pyongan form uh, versus Pyongan form number one. I, again, I'm kind of extrapolating from what I can find here on the internet. I'm sure there's other people out there have a better answer than I. But just a discrepancy I noticed between Il and Cho. Uh, once again, the, the, the Sino-Korean would be for the black belt ranks as well. Uh, any Don ranking would start with Chodan instead of Ildan. Idan would be second degree, Samdan third, Sadan fourth, Odan fifth, Yakdan sixth, Childan seventh, etc., etc., uh, and so on and so on. Whereas if we were counting out jumping jacks, we'd be shouting out probably in unison, Hana, Tool, Set, Net, Fusset, and so on and so forth through 10 and counting in blocks of 10. So there's some confusion there between the Il and the Cho um, in the Sino Korean. Uh, way of counting. I also would say that uh, as a instructor or as a student, I have noticed that the uh, difference between ill and e when it is spoken out loud in a noisy place uh, or a large room like a dojong or at a tournament, uh, a training session perhaps, a seminar, hard to hear. Uh, the difference between ilbu and ibu. Uh, even worse, sambu and sabu. Uh, that M sound, uh, meaning three or third form, versus Sa, which would be the fourth form. Uh, please enunciate, and please make it easier for those of us who are a little hard of hearing to make sure that we are uh, doing the correct form or understanding your meaning uh, in the numeracy of Kung Sudo. So continuing with our fixation on numbers regarding Kung Sudo, uh, and I kind of have it as two separate topics here, but they pretty much overlap. The number of belts or the number of ranks in Tung Sudo. Uh, up through, I, I guess it would be through first gup from 10th gup would be the ranks before black belt. And depending upon the system you're in, the belts might hold different colors. But I would say that a 10th gup and pretty much any Tung Sudo system is going to be a white belt. Somebody who's just entered the dojong is at the start of their Tung Sudo journey and usually within three months if they've decided to stick it out, 
and become a regular training uh, you know, participant in that particular dojong, they'd go to a ninth gup, which in our particular system would be an orange belt with a white stripe. So at least they get some color on there. And there's some symbolism between the uh, the purity of a white belt and the different colors have different uh, meanings that we could get into at a, at a future time. But I'm going to focus more on the numerology of it all. Uh, so from ninth gup, you would go after another three months to eighth gup, uh, which would be, in our case, a solid uh, orange belt. And then seventh cup would have the black stripe down the middle. Sixth cup would be a green with a white stripe. Fifth cup would be a solid green. Fourth cup would be a green with a black line down the middle. And uh, then third cup would be the red white with the white stripe down the middle. And then second cup would be a solid red belt. And if you've stuck around that long, uh, it's it's kind of. Uh, assume that you're going to stick around for black belt and of course the last step before testing for don rank or a, uh, a black belt as we call it uh, you would become a first cup also known as chodan bow or a uh, don candidate and that would be a red belt with a black stripe down the middle not to be confused with a black belt with a red stripe down the middle which is a master's belt which is a little different um and actually in in our case it is a more of a dark blue uh navy midnight blue versus black which is uh, another uh another discussion we could have at a different time but uh yeah looking at our particular uh training requirements the first uh, up through uh sixth gup would be uh three-month intervals of testing, which again is probably important to know that uh, you can progress pretty quickly. Uh, in your first year, you could move up uh, presumably four ranks. Uh, then the training cycles become six months uh, between, say, uh, sixth gup and fifth gup, so to speak. So by the time you get to uh, that, that nice uh, <coughs> green belt level, the testing does not come as frequently the advancement does not come as frequently uh, that can be disconcerting especially to uh, uh, younger children uh, who are used to getting the uh, satisfaction and the recognition of some sort of a uh, award if you will uh, on, on our three-month basis to find out they have to wait twice as long oh my goodness to get that new belt uh, that's why I think uh, I know in our school in particular and in, in a lot of systems uh, little dragons and karate kids under a certain age uh, have all sorts of different little colored uh, systems with camouflage belts and, 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 and different <laughs> different meanings and different colors. So they get to have those uh, frequent rewards that uh, hope to keep their attention and their interest in training and, and keep them excited. Uh, obviously, as you get a little bit older as a child or as an adult, you don't need that quite need that instant gratification, but uh, the, the duration tends to increase. And then, of course, uh, to uh, go from first Don, uh, Ch Chodan, black belt to second Don would be a two-year period and then minimum, uh, minimum of two years of, of good training and uh, in, in good standing. And then from second Don to third Don would be another three years. And once again, uh, to get to fourth Don, a minimum of four years. And in many cases, it ends up being much, much longer than that, depending upon the, the timing of the cycles and uh, other factors that are involved. And let's face it, you get to a certain level of black belt. Uh, you're not training for 
new rank. You're training because you love the art, because you're trying to improve yourself, and the rank just follows based on your particular uh, efforts and uh, participation. So that usually takes care of itself. You, you don't really even pay attention to the years going by after you get to about a second on. Uh, and when your teachers tell you you're ready to advance, uh, then you make sure you're prepared. But uh, yeah, there would be 10 belts, uh, 10 ranks before uh, black belt. Um, strangely enough, after you get to fourth don, at least in our system, uh, you would be considered the rank of master. It was in my case as a fourth don. Uh, currently fifth don, which again, I had to wait a duration of a minimum of five years for that test. Uh, I'm now in, in the process of waiting at some point. I assume I would be, if I'm still training uh, regularly and participating, I would be tapped for a sixth don test at some point in the uh, future. But once again, not holding my breath on that. But uh, after sixth don, there is certainly seventh don, eighth don, and ninth don is as high as Tung Sido goes. Uh, there's something about the idea of a 10th Don, uh, the number 10 representing uh, completion or perfection. And so even the highest ranking practitioners across the globe in Korea and UK and places like that uh, ha have not uh, assigned themselves a rank above that of 9th Don, which uh, I always thought was kind of a particularly cool thing. So after we've learned to count in Korean uh, during our warm-ups and learn the first few forms, uh, we should talk about the number of moves in each of the forms that we learn as we progress through the ranks. Uh, certainly the most basic forms, the Gicho forms, uh, the uh, Seiki forms, uh, which we would be learning at white and orange belt, uh, etc. Uh, it's a good thing to know how many moves there are. And... Uh, if you think about the first form, basic Gicho Hyung Ilbu, basic form number one, or first basic form, uh, you turn left, low box, step and punch, center punch, that's two, turn right, low box, step and punch. So there's four at the bottom of what we call the eye of the eye pattern. Uh, then there's a low block down the middle and three punches up the center, yet another four moves. At the top of the eye, you would turn and repeat the low block center punch and low block center punch. That's another four. Back down the eye, you repeat those low block and three center punches. There's another four. And when you get to the bottom of the eye, you repeat those moves. Uh, I'm not in high math, but I know that if you multiply four moves times five parts of the eye pattern, you end up with 20 moves. So it's pretty easy to say that in the basic forms, there are 20 moves. Although some people would consider the initial chumbi or chumbi jasi and uh, at the beginning and end of the form as a move of the form as well. So it could be easily argued that there are actually 22 movements to the gicho and seiki forms. Uh, from there, it starts to get a little more complex as we move into our advanced forms. Uh, it's easy to debate the number of moves. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Basai Dai. I, I want to say just off the top of my head, it's a 72-move form. And uh, somebody from another association might be going, well, that's outrageous. It's 76 moves or it's only 70 moves. Uh, depending upon how you count certain things, breath controls, certain combinations that you might count as one move or break down into two moves. Uh, but whoever your instructor is, whatever your particular uh, association or style of Tung Sado dictates, it's never a bad idea to know how many moves there are in the form you're currently working on. Um, 
again, it's just kind of a, a ticky tacky math geeky kind of thing to me. But uh, it, however you're counting it, certainly if uh, your most basic gicho forms have 20 moves, you would start to think as you move through the pyongans, you're going to be getting into the 25, 28, 30, 30 some odd moves. Uh, as you start getting into uh, more advanced forms, your your, your basais and such, uh, yeah, m- much greater number of moves. Uh, and uh, Chilsung's uh, don't even get me started on, uh, you know, Chilsung Oo, something like that. Uh, but then again, the Nianchis, uh, which are usually not taught until students are relatively well seasoned, not that many moves there. I was going to say 25 under 30, I bet, if I were to count it. And again, the way I count and you count might be different, but uh, not necessarily uh, more moves the more advanced you are. I, okay, I've, I've gone from first degree black belt to second degree black belt. My, my form is going to go from 72 moves to uh, 92 moves. Uh, that could happen, but you could also find yourself... Uh, training as a master and, uh, uh, you know, doing Seishan and, and realizing that, like, this is actually a pretty short form. Uh, and then it makes you think about the uh, maybe the importance of every move uh, versus they're just throwing a more number of uh, activities and, and techniques at you. Uh, then maybe you need to focus a little bit more on executing the, the fewer number of techniques in a, uh, in a more perfect manner. So anyway, uh, uh, it's always good to know the number of techniques in your form. You can count them out loud. You could debate it with uh, fellow students or ask your instructor about it. Uh, I know that uh, a large part of my training the last year or so, I had uh, been trying to do some corrections and some some stances and some framing and stuff like that. And uh, I want to say it was the uh, 3rd, 11th, and 15th move of Gicho Hyung Ilbu were the moves that I was working on and I uh, had highlighted those in my own mind uh, and again sounds kind of kind of geeky and uh, to, to, to think of it that way but uh, I, I don't think there's uh, anything wrong with knowing the number of moves in the form uh, and being able to compare them and understand uh, which moves count uh, in what ways the next thing I wanted to talk about uh, and this one is pretty important and it comes back to my earlier admonition about wanting you to write down and record your progress and your work and your training. Uh, hey, how many forms do you know? Have you ever sat down and counted, written down, the number of forms you know at your current rank? Uh, if you're an advanced student like me, uh, I bet you can't say them all off the top of your head. Or if you do, uh, kudos to you because that, that, that's got to be challenging. Uh, as you work your way through the ranks, there's probably some kind of instruction manual or something you have on the website for your school that tells you, oh, at this rank, you need to know these forms. And by this rank, you should know these forms. You start adding them up and pretty soon you have a pretty good uh, collection of, uh, of forms you need to know. And there are some that Master Volker at least likes to call elective forms. These would be forms that are not necessarily required for you to advance to the next rank, but you've been shown, you've been introduced to, maybe you compete with. Uh, If you're somebody who teaches karate kids or little dragons, you might do a separate set of forms for their curriculum. uh, If you're swatting or or helping out as a uh, assistant instructor. So uh, you'd be surprised. And if you haven't yet, I would encourage you, you know, pull out, I'm old school, pull out a legal pad and a pencil, or if you want to do it in a a, a Google doc or a Microsoft Word doc, sit down, start with Gicho Young Ilbu. I think that's pretty much where all of us have started. How many Gichos are there? Off the top of my head, I can think of six, which again, if you 
you're going six. I thought there were only three or four. Um, we could we could have a conversation about that sometime. Uh, same thing with Seikis. And then you work your way through the Pyongans and through the uh, uh, Basais and your uh, Nianchis. And uh, if you do chill songs, etc., Yokros. Uh, boy, pretty soon you start to come up with a pretty big collection of forms. And here's, I actually created a, a worksheet uh, with <laughs> little checkboxes and then the forms uh, grouped by, you know, type of form, Pyongans, etc., Gichos, Seikis, uh, in order from rank as I worked my way through. I got to be somewhere over 50 now. Uh, I haven't updated the document in some time, but what I would try to do and what I wish I would get back to doing was at least once a month, I would find a time where I could sit down and work my way through every form I knew from the very first one to the current one I was working on, my most advanced form. And by the time you get up to 25, 30, 40, 50 forms, uh, by the way, I'm adding in uh, weapons here as well. So staff, knife, sword, things like that. If you do things with commas and nunchucks, uh, boy, your, your list could be even longer than mine, uh, even if I outrank you. So you would work your way through this list of forms guess what you're not going to remember all of them perfectly and it's a really good spotlight for you to do kind of a, a gut check and see wow geez it's been a long time since i worked on that yuck row form or that uh that chill song uh and boy you know yeah i'm, I'm working over here on on bus i die but i have a, a pyongan samdan is something i haven't done in six months and when i i tried to work my way through it uh boy i botched that up good um, it, it, even as a more advanced GUP and certainly as a black belt or a Don member, uh, a, a, a junior student might come up to you and say, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, could you help me work through this form I'm working on? Pyongan Samdan, let's say. And you've been working on Basai Dai and you're, oh, snap, how do I do that? Uh, so, uh, you know, humility, again, I think is one of the tenets. Uh, boy, we want to make sure that we go ahead and... Uh, Every now and again, check through and write down, record how many forms we know. It's nice to know the exact number. Again, it's kind of a bragging right. Oh, I, I know 51 forms or uh, 75 forms. Hey, you know, I, I guess that's kind of, uh, <clears throat> kind of petty, but it's a nice thing for you to know. And having them written down in a nice, concise order chronologically allows you to every now and again go through them and double check for your own personal understanding uh, at your current Point in training. So I got a little long-winded and geeked out there a little bit on the last few topics. So I'll go through these last few pretty quickly. Uh, but again, uh, these are things that you would need to keep track of the numbers on. And one thing we used to do, uh, I remember in years past, was a thing called Night of a Thousand Kicks. And whoever was running the class would start pretty much right after warm-ups and we'd start doing front leg front kicks and switching and alternating and then front leg round kicks and then back leg round kicks and striding kicks and every sort of and uh you know doing sets of 20 and then five sets of 20 equals 100 and then you do that enough times all of a sudden you realize about halfway through the class what the instructor's doing you're like oh snap we're, we're already up to about 500 kicks here um let me tell you it's it that is quite a thing to try to do uh in an hour-long class uh in fact i don't even know if it's possible uh you, you would have to be moving pretty quick there uh but 
just a really cool number to hit. And, uh, you know, again, the next day you're going to be sore and you're going to be walking around funny and, oh, well, what happened to you? Oh, night of a thousand kicks on Tuesday. Oh, oh, wow. I missed it. Oh, yeah, you should have been there. Oh, it was crazy. So uh, that was always something that uh, we, we sort of wore as a badge of honor when we had survived one of the night of a thousand kicks. Uh, so as an instructor, that might be something you'd want to blow the dust off of and uh, try to figure out how to best do that. Um, I myself, uh, a few years back, was trying to increase my uh, push-ups, and I uh, implemented a thousand push-up a month club that I uh, basically gave worksheets to students to uh, jot down and keep a journal of their push-ups. Anyway, I was thinking, oh my god, thousand push-ups a month. Well, listen, a thousand push-ups a month. If there's four weeks in a month, and typically there's more than that. Uh, if five days a week you did 50 push-ups, well, five times 50 is 250 times four weeks. There's your thousand push-ups. It's not that hard. So if, if you were to five days a week, you were to, uh, you know, bang out five sets of 10 push-ups, which again, I don't think is beyond anybody's ability, uh, you would have your 50 and you do that five days in a row. You take Saturday and Sunday off, or if you, you missed a day during the week, you have Saturday or Sunday to catch up and you keep track of your progress at the end of the month. You know, saying, oh, how many, yeah, guess what? I did a thousand pushups this month. That's pretty cool. And that's something nobody can take away from you. I've always said that about pushups is that you know, nobody can do pushups for you. Nobody can take them away from you. When you do them, that is 100% on you. It was your effort that had them get done. And uh, the fact that you did them uh, is something that nobody can take away from you. Uh, in fact, I, I started a tradition that at the end of class, uh, after bowing out, as a, as a black belt, as it might even start as a chodan bow, I would just drop down and do an extra, you know, 20 push-ups, 10, 15, 20, 25 push-ups. And uh, somebody said to me, oh, what are you doing that for? You're crazy. We just, you know, we just did all this sparring and we're all sweaty and exhausted. I don't, I don't think I could squeeze out any more push-ups. And I, all I would say is, look, that just made me 20 push-ups stronger than the guy I'm going to see at the tournament next month. Because I did those extra 20 push-ups and... I didn't want to, believe me, I was tired. I just wanted to, to rest and change out of my dough buck, go home and have supper. But instead, I forced myself uh, to have the discipline to do a few extra push-ups. And I think that just creates a good mindset. So that, that extra 10 or 20 push-ups at the end of class is also kind of a neat little, uh, little trick there uh, as, as a training tool. Um, you know, as a, <laughs> as a person who grew up uh, wrestling in seventh through 12th grade, uh, we were always very weight conscious and pretty much every day we would weigh in at the beginning of practice and weigh out at the end of practice. Uh, I don't know if that contributed to my, uh, my, uh, my perhaps, uh, perhaps eating disorders is a, uh, too strong a word, but, uh, I, I definitely don't have a healthy relationship with food and, uh, it, it shows in my physique but I still, to this day, on a regular basis, weigh myself and write it down in a journal and compare it to uh, past years. And I can say, oh yeah, look at that, it was summer. I was down uh, 10 pounds from where I was in uh, February after the holidays and in the winter when you're just sitting around eating comfort food. Uh, you know, I can have what I call my alarm weight when I go over a certain level. It's like, okay, you gotta seriously do something about this and maybe start drinking some protein shakes and getting some cardio in to, to get back down to a more healthy weight. 
But, uh, you know, daily weigh-in, maybe a little over the top. Weekly weigh-in, probably not a bad idea, at least monthly. Uh, and having an idea of, of what your weight is, uh, you know, again, we're, unless you're competing uh, in a you know, sport karate, I don't think you need to know exactly what your weight is uh, like a fighter. But uh, having a, an idea of what it is and, and tracking that is something that I do and, and might find useful for yourself. Um, one last thought that's uh, kind of a cool thing to do, and again, as an instructor or a studio owner, uh, what you might want to do is uh, with uh, upcoming tests or competitions, tournaments, uh, make a countdown. Make a, a you know, print out a, a calendar uh, with numbers of the dates, you know, uh, 20 days left until our tournament, you know, 15 days left to our tournament. How many more classes are you going to be able to get in? And uh, putting a big X through each day as you get closer to the, the tournament day. And of course, you know, put it in big red numbers there, whatever the, you know, October 28th. Okay, that's in big bright red letters on this calendar. And every day taking a, a marker and Xing out the day. And hey, guys, look, there's only 10 more days to this tournament. Are you ready? How's your forms? How's your weapons going? You know, have you been doing your sparring drills? How's your cardio? Uh, having a countdown, first of all, kids love countdowns. But I think it makes things a little bit more real. You know, oh yeah, that, that tournament's coming up. It's wait, it's seven days, eight days from now. Oh my goodness, that's going to be uh, that, that's something that's going to light a fire under uh, under your students and perhaps get them to focus a little bit more on their training or getting ready for a test as well, knowing that okay, it's uh, you know you're, we're we're four weeks out to black belt testing. Oh, you chode on bows. Uh, you know, if you have any questions, now's the time to ask them and get that stuff squared away before the, the, the week before the test when it's almost too late at that point. You know, another good training tool would be, uh, all right, so now it's uh, three weeks out from the tournament, 21 days. Uh, all right, how many days, uh, how many classes are you going to get in between now and then? All right, three times. So you're probably going to, if you really work on 10 times, you're going to get into the dojong before the next tournament. All right, how about if at the end of every class, you did your form that you're going to be performing at the tournament five times. After class, after we bowed out, you go off to the side and you do your Basai Dai or your whatever, your Nianchi. You do it five times. Times those 10 classes, that means you'll have gotten 50 reps. What if you do it at home every day after school? You come in and you do your form five times. Uh, that's going to give you 100 reps before the tournament. And, you know, just getting a, a numerical mindset about your training. And, uh, you know, good. I, I'd rather take uh, 10 well done, uh, well executed forms over 100 sloppy, uh, half hearted ones. But there is something about keeping track of the number. And, uh, you know, again, being somewhat competitive or, or trying to keep track of that, uh, having some pride, uh, figuring out just how many opportunities you have to get your training in before that test, that competition, uh, that time when you really want to have your techniques locked down. I think that would all be very useful. So uh, again, putting down a countdown calendar and uh, as a student, being able to uh, maybe write down a log of numbers of times you did that form before the tournament or the test is going to be hugely beneficial. Well, looking at the time that's elapsed, uh, I, I can say that I was right talking about how geeked out I get about numbers and lists and things like that. Uh, but I hope you took something away from this episode and that you can uh, maybe 
be a little bit more aware of the the impact that numbers have on our training and maybe be a little more conscious of keeping track of and record keeping uh, your particular progress and training and hopefully it'll help you improve your overall performance and techniques and uh, help you along your journey in Tungsudo. So as usual, I appreciate your time. I uh, thank you for listening. I ask you to share this with anybody that it might be interesting to and listen to future episodes. Uh, tune in again soon. And until then, train hard and Tung Sue.